baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Good afternoon. It's 107 here in the Crescent City. I'm your special guest host, Ian Hoke, sitting in for Scoot today. Scoot is in Portland visiting his family. He'll be back on Tuesday, and I'm going to be here from 1 to 4 o'clock today, tomorrow, and Monday. Got a great show coming up. If you heard the handoff with Newell, you already know. We're going to be talking to Sydney Smith. Sydney Smith is the owner of Haunted History Tours, which is a, a pretty it's a big operation. They send out, I don't know, dozens, dozens of tours in the French Quarter every night. They do ghost tours, and they do voodoo tours, and they do, uh, what's the other, vampire tours. They have a haunted pub crawl where you, like, go to different bars and get drinks and then also learn about haunted stuff. Uh, Sidney Smith, the proprietor of this business, Haunted History Tours, he's going to tell us about New Orleans' most haunted spots. And uh, we actually we spoke to Sydney about this time last year, and this is an interesting conversation. I thought it'd be worth bringing it back and uh, dusting the old girl off. Uh, we'll be talking to him about New Orleans' most haunted spots and his experience working with real-life ghost hunters. Um, he'll tell us the details, but I recall that he worked really closely, hand-in-glove, with some of those guys. I don't know, they're on the Sci-Fi Network or FX or whatever, but they come in... And uh, they got all kind of, you know, equipment that uh, detects ghosts. I don't know. They set up cameras and they like, say, oh, yeah, there's definitely a ghost in this old abandoned cardboard box factory or whatever. So they came here and they got in touch with Sydney and went and did a bunch of ghost hunting at various New Orleans locations. I thought, you know, given the fact that it is a peak ghost season, uh, that might be a fun conversation to have at 210. We're going to talk to the professor of public policy at Duke University, Phil Napoli. Professor Napoli is also the author of a book called Social Media and the Public Interest, Media Regulation in the Disinformation Age. Disinformation is different from misinformation in that, uh, you know, misinformation uh, is not necessarily malicious. Like I could be wrong about something like I could say, uh, you know, it's going to rain tonight. And that you could say that that's misinformation because I don't have any evidence that it's going to rain tonight. But I, I, I'm not trying to fool anybody. I'm not trying to make anybody take any action based on the fact that it's going to rain tonight. I'm just kind of expressing my opinion, and it's wrong, and that's okay. That's what the First Amendment is for. But disinformation is a different thing. If I tell you that it's going to rain tonight, and I know that it's not going to rain tonight, and I tell you anyway, because I want you to get out your umbrellas and your ponchos, and I want you to, you know, do all the other stuff you usually do to prepare for a rainstorm. But I know it's not going to rain. That's disinformation. I'm telling you a lie for a very specific reason. And disinformation is being used as a weapon in new and frightening ways in the Israel-Hamas conflict. It's gotten pretty bad on Twitter or X, 
depending on how much you care about what Elon Musk wants you to call his toy social media platform. You see a lot of uh, photos and videos of saying, oh, look, this is from the Israeli airstrikes, or look, this is from the, the Hamas rockets. And it's, you know, some horrible image of, you know, a school bus being blown up or something like that. And it turns out that that's actually not what that image is showing at all. That image might be from a different conflict at a different time. That, uh, that might be from Syria five years ago. Might show something completely different than what the person who is posting it tells you it is. And they're, 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 they're doing that to you on purpose so that you feel a certain way about Israel or you feel a certain way about Hamas. And we've never, I don't think, seen this happening on quite such a big scale as we have in the last couple months. So I'm going to ask Professor Napoli about that. I mean, what do we even do? You know, Facebook and, and YouTube are, I, I think, at least trying. I don't think they do a great job of regulating disinformation on their platforms. God knows there's plenty of it on both. But Elon Musk has just given up. He just thinks that's not worth the effort. It's not worth the expense of paying people to monitor disinformation on that social media network. And maybe you don't think that that's important. Maybe you don't use Twitter or X at all. And so it's really not relevant to you. But it is important to a lot of people. And uh, Professor Napoli is going to explain, you know, without help from those social media networks in terms of protecting us from disinformation, propaganda from foreign actors who want to do America harm and want to sow discord and division among the American people. What are we supposed to do about that? We won't have help institutionally, I don't think. So what do we as individual consumers of that content need to know? How can we insulate ourselves from those lies? How do we separate fact from fiction when it's a matter of life and death? In this first hour, we're going to talk to a friend of the show, Dr. Roy Salgado. He's a mental health counseling professor at the University of Holy Cross. How do we protect our mental health while we're watching this war unfold? There's a, a, a pull, a sort of magnetic draw, I think, for many of us to look at images from this war, look at photos and videos that are graphic, gory. And I want to understand psychologically why we do that. And, and, and look, I'm not, I'm not even putting like a value judgment on that. I'm not saying that as if it's a bad thing. Like, I don't think you're a bad person. If you are curious and you want to see real life graphic or gory images. But that comes at a cost. A, a repeated exposure to those kinds of images has a, a deleterious effect on our mental health. And I want to ask Dr. Salgado about that. Do we really need to see those images in order to understand what's happening? Do we need to see images of, you know, the, for example, the victims of the mass shooting in Lewiston, Maine last night? Do we really need to see the, the picture of those people's bullet-riddled bodies 
to kind of understand the gravity of the situation? Or is it possible for just to appreciate that that happened without having to doom scroll and, you know, have our nose right up to our phone and just be looking at that stuff kind of around the clock? So, <laughs> cheery couple hours. Um, we also have a lot of other kind of silly incidental stuff I want to tuck in. We're going to get to that in just a second. I do want to do a little housekeeping first. Uh, the tickets to the Bears game. So, uh, the Saints play the Bears coming up uh, just uh, next Sunday. And we want to send you there. We can send you there to, to, to see the Saints-Bears game. And it's so simple to do this. All you have to do is go to WWL.com slash contests with an S on the end of the word contests. It's incredibly easy to enter this contest. All you have to do is enter your email address and I think maybe your date of birth and that's that's it. You don't have to be the eighth caller or answer this weird trivia question. You literally just put in your email address and you're automatically entered to win. And the prize is two tickets, not just to the Saints-Bears game, but you also get a pair of VIP tailgate passes to the Bullseye event group party. And you've heard me and Scoot talk about this all the time because we like to go with, for the home games. You get to go up to this Bullseye event group place. It's right. It's overlooking Champion Square, which is awesome. I mean, you feel like a god up there. I mean, you're looking down over the people in Champion Square. You got a great view of the dome. It's a, it's a really cool view got a great vibe everybody's up there all dressed they're taking selfies they're drinking they're partying speaking of drinks it's an open bar with premium liquor you know sometimes you go to an open bar and they say like well yes we have uh this rum punch and that's it everything else is cash no 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 that's not what this is this is an open bar with premium liquor you want to go up there and get three gray goose vodkas and pay no money for that, that you can do that. You want to go up there and get, you know, a, a triple Patron on the rocks and pay no money for that? <laughs> you can do that. We want to send you. It's so simple. Go to WWL.com slash contests right now and enter for your chance to win. We call it the ultimate game day experience for Saints versus Bears from Saints Radio and WWL. And then again, uh, tonight on Thursday Night Football, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are taking on the Buffalo Bills. We'll have pregame at 7 and kickoff at 7.20. And remember, if you're not near a radio, you can stream Thursday Night Football and Sunday and Monday Night Football, for that matter. On your mobile phone, your tablets, your smart speakers, you just tell your smart device in your house, hey, mm, play WWL. Coleman's on the ones and twos today. Hi, Coleman, what's going on? Hey, a little bone of contention I had to... Uh, what? Already? Know, yeah, something you said earlier about uh, Twitter slash X not Fine. being good. At, okay. Uh, all right, I don't know. I know it's not Elon Musk. There is a watchdog group that does community notes on my yeah, Twitter. Yeah, community notes, yeah. Yeah, and I love community notes, and I think they do a great job as opposed to Facebook and the other social media sites yeah. uh, dispelling certain disinformation. There's even a, a funny account that I follow called Community Notes Giving People L's. I something. also follow that account. <laughs> and it's just a, it's just a whole uh, just a thread of people thinking they're getting away with disinformation or yeah. misinformation and Community Notes just comes right back around and says, well, actually. Yeah, that's, so. oh, I, you're, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that always does make me smile when somebody says something you know, um, I'm not going to think of a great example, right? But they, they're very sure. They're very yeah. serious. Their mind is really made up about this. And then everybody reports that tweet and says, like, no, you're absolutely incorrect. Like somebody's tweeting, the sky is green and grass is blue. 
and the community notes are like, what is, no, no, what is wrong with you? You look like an idiot. And then they don't delete the tweet, of course, oh, so no. it just stays it up there. engagement. And they're so. just taking the L. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, I emailed you something. Have you checked your email in the last two minutes? Yeah, I've checked it, but I didn't open it. Okay, open that. Open that link. Uh, okay, here we go. Let's see what uh, we got here. <laughs> boop. And then boop. And then boop. Uh-oh, here we go. You see what that is? I'm about to. It's, it's doing the buffer loading thingy. Man, your phone takes forever, dude. <laughs> oh, no. I, I, got, I might have to do it through the break. Cause, uh, let me see. Let's open it with this one. I picked Chrome. What you put? Whoa! See? A Pop-Tart shirt. It's a, it's a T-shirt that looks like a Wildberry Pop-Tart. It's, it's, it's too good. It's too good. To I, I saw that this morning, and I thought, uh, I'm not usually the kind of guy who just clicks on a, an advertisement on the Internet and says, oh, I got to have that. But I don't feel pretty drawn to that Wildberry Pop-Tart T-shirt. Here, here's my fear. What? It's not going to look as good as this picture. I think you're right. Yeah, it I, might have the same design, but it's not going to look... It, yeah. It, I'm salivating. Hold on. You know, the quality... Yeah, I, I mean, I love <laughs> Wildberry Pop. I don't eat them very often anymore, but when I was a lowercase, I, um, I ate those suckers a couple times a day. Anyway... All that is to say, uh, I think I'm going to order this Pop-Tart t-shirt, and we're going to have a great show. Let's step away here and come back with Dr. Roy Salgado from the University of Holy Cross. Good friend of the show. I always enjoy having him on. Always something good to learn there. Nice guy. If any time you want to get in on the action here, the number is 504-260-1870. That's the Oakland Art Jewelers Talk and Text Line. I'll be taking your phone calls all day. I'll be reading 100% of the texts that you send me. I'll reply to as many as I can, and I'll read the very best ones on the air. I'm Ian Hoken for Scoot. We'll be right back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Ian Hoken for Scoot. Joining us on the line right now is our... Our friend, Dr. Roy Salgado, who's a mental health counseling professor at the University of Holy Cross right here in the Crescent City. Dr. Salgado, welcome back to the show. Thanks for making time today, man. Good afternoon. My pleasure. Uh, glad to have you with us. On the Okinawa Jewelers talking text line, uh, there's a text right out of the gate that says, Doctor, I can kind of hear myself. Do you have something else on in the room? Am I on speakerphone or something? Uh, no, I'm on a cell phone, but uh, it's to my ear. Okay, great. I can still hear. So, Coleman, here's what we're going to have to do. You'll have to turn the doctor off while I'm speaking. <laughs> great, okay. Um, here's a text that says, Without actually seeing graphic images of mass murders and war, most segments of society will ignore the seriousness of these horrible realities. I think it should be mandatory for adults to see the actual effects of humans destroying humans. 
Perhaps that could help all of us realize the tragedies we perpetuate on each other in the name of religion, differences of opinion, and outright insanity. So that's where I kind of want to begin, Dr. Salgado. And uh, look, I actually want to tuck one thing in first. We've had you on the show a lot, but I don't know that we've ever uh, really talked about your background. Can you just briefly reintroduce yourself to the audience and just tell us about your expertise in mental health and trauma? My pleasure. Um, well, I have been in practice for 20 years and doctor. Hmm. Doctor, you're breaking up on us pretty badly. I didn't hear much of that. Try again, please. I apologize. I have been here for 23 years providing services to members of our community, both in English and in Spanish. And a lot of the work that I do is working with those individuals who have experienced trauma, either individuals who have survived sexual abuse, stalking, human trafficking, and uh, domestic violence. I see. Okay, thank you for that. Um, the reason I wanted to get you on today is specifically, uh, when the war broke out and I woke up that morning, as many of us did on October 7th, and saw these headlines about what had happened in Israel. And in particular, I saw the, uh, what had happened at that music festival. And I, excuse me, <laughs> this young woman that is uh, kidnapped and separated from her boyfriend and driven away on this motorcycle, and she's crying out to him, and she's saying, please don't kill me, please don't kill me. Her name is Noah Agramani. To the best of my knowledge, she still has not been rescued or identified. But that video, paired uh, with many others that I watched with my phone in my nose, you know, lying on the couch that first couple of days, um, it really, it, it kind of stuck with me. I felt deeply affected by that video and the other videos that I watched that weekend and after a couple of days had gone by, I realized, my God, I have to stop watching this stuff. It's really, uh, it's really affecting my ability to live my life the way that I want and behave the way that I want and perform at work the way that I want. What are the psychological mechanisms that are at play in a moment like that when individuals repeatedly see graphic and distressing images of violence in the news? Well, there is such a thing as vicarious trauma or secondary trauma in that individuals who are repeatedly exposed to something, even though they themselves were not the recipient of the direct life-threatening event, but when they have the image thrust before them or they read about it and they see it or they hear about it continually, then there is what is referred to as vicarious trauma. It happens with first responders. It happens with mental health professionals. When you are aware of such atrocities, it's something that sits with you. And there are mechanisms that one can do to kind of put space and a distance between the horrors that happen in our world and hearing about them. Uh, these, the, the word that keeps coming to me is intrusive. It's difficult for me uh, to to stop thinking about those images. You know, I'm lying awake uh, in bed at night trying to get to sleep, and I just keep seeing that that woman being driven away on the motorcycle, and the uh, the images of the uh, the the deceased young children. How can those intrusive images if affect one's mental state? Well, they do. Um, the fact of the matter is that these are horrific images. These are horrific event, events that have taken place. And it's important to recognize that it's a normal response. A person who is 
becoming aware of such events. And when you find your person responding in such a way that you can't sleep, you can't focus, you can't think, and that these intrusive thoughts, that the images keep replaying themselves over and over and over again, that's, that is, in fact, a normal response mm-hmm. to these situations. And to not respond in kind would actually would be the abnormal response. If someone mm-hmm. could look at this and not find themselves um, impacted in this way, then that would be the question. How is it that that's not uh, something that is impacting you? that perhaps is uh, motivating you to to think about what's happening and perhaps um, why these things are happening. And so I would say that that in in, in and of itself um, is something to perhaps bring comfort. It's a normal response that you are a human being who is well in your mental health in such that this is what you're doing. Now, being that it is impacting you or whomever it is may find themselves in this situation, the recommendation is to be aware of this. If this persists, for over two weeks than perhaps needing to talk to someone on a professional level to be able to intervene because to have an acute response to this type of situation is pretty typical and pretty normal. To have it persist for more than two weeks, then perhaps there's something else that's going on that's uh, also contributing to your response because it's a vicarious response as opposed to a direct trauma response. So you would point to two weeks as being, you know, perhaps just a guideline that people could use as a, a, a sort of post between, uh, oh, this is a normal level of anxiety and stress, but after two weeks, you know, these emotions might have reached a level that requires professional attention. Other than that sort of two-week guidepost, is there anything else that, that people might understand as, as a symbol that their body is giving them that, hey, you need, to, you need to get some help, you need to back away from this? Well, in that first two-week period of time when you see these initial responses, uh, it's important to realize that this is what's happening. And as such, putting some distance between the news that one consumes, the information that one gets, and staying informed. And so we need to stay informed, but at the same time, not to the extent that it starts to impact our daily lives. And so if we notice that we're maybe limiting it to 30 minutes and we're going about our, our day and we're trying to do our best to meet our obligations with regard to school, work, family, social situations, and then our symptoms assuage, then we're doing well. And perhaps there isn't a need to uh, go further. However, if even when that is happening, even when you put that distance between the news and yourself, and you're still experiencing that beyond the two weeks, then uh, seeking professional help. What is the role of the sympathetic nervous system in the body's response to these traumatic images and stories? There, I, I understand there's, there's got to be some sort of stress response, a, a hormonal or a chemical change that happens. Yes, you know, and it, it, that's exactly what's happening. You know, we human beings in any organism, whether it be uh, an animal or a human being, we do have a nervous system that is set to kick into motion when there is threat. And so the fight or flight response kicks in and then cortisol is released and all of the different hormones do what they need to do to help the organism, the individual, the human being fight or flee situation. Mm-hmm. We receive these images and we see that we also participate in these activities. We go to concerts, we go to grocery stores, we go to schools, we go to places of worship. And to see that these types of events can happen at soft targets, they're not exactly um, events where you wouldn't, where, where you would expect this to happen. No one really goes expecting for anything like this to happen and to see that it has. And not only that it has, but to the specific populations to which it has happened, that we see that children were impacted in the way that they were. That sets, in a way, 
very different, uh, makes us more vulnerable to that. And so that response to not only want to protect oneself, but to protect one's children, there's no greater response than wanting to survive, but also to make sure that your children survive an event. And so all of that has played out with these recent events. Uh, it's clear that, you know, people who are at that music festival or the place of worship or the shopping mall where there's a, a sort of mass casualty, uh, excuse me, mass casualty uh, trauma event, obviously those people will be vulnerable to developing uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. I also want to ask you too, doctor, about these journalists. I have seen a lot of coverage from... You know, the people on the big cable news channels, Trey Yinkst on Fox News and Clarissa Ward on CNN and some other people from all over, you know, the BBC and uh, Al Jazeera, and they look rattled. And it's clear that reporting on these events and being at these grisly crime scenes is taking a toll on their mental health. What advice would you give to them, you know, either before or after they're on the scene reporting on those events? Well, the fact that they're actually war correspondents and they're in the midst of it, uh, it's going to be a little challenging to have them step away from the situation. Right. But to the extent that they can, to the extent that they can take a day and not cover it, you know, if if they have a seven-day work week, maybe have a six-day work week where they can just stay away far enough so that they can give their body some rest just enough for their body to lie down. You know, we as mental health professionals, we also hear a number of traumatic events hour after hour from our clients or our patients. And so we have to step away from it. And so, you know, here in New Orleans, I can step away from the story and then go and do something fun and joyful with my family and and appreciate the good things and have gratitude for the good things in my life and maybe take a little trip, you know, to the beach or something to kind of get away. They don't necessarily have that luxury, but to the extent that they can tap into whatever limited resources they may have, even if it's just a room where they can be in silence and perhaps reflect and pray and connect with God and and meditate, if that's something that they can do just to rest their body, just to rest their mind, then it's something that I would recommend that they do it regularly. Okay, I would like to kind of sidestep uh, the you know, the worst parts of the news cycle as it exists in Western media in terms of, you know, war coverage and mass shootings and stuff. Um, I've often, you know, thought about implementing a media diet to limit my own news intake, which I there's not really much I can do given what my job is, uh, which is to, you know, know as much as possible about what's happening in the United States and around the world. But is implementing a media diet um, and, and limiting your news intake generally. Can, can you explain how that can help protect our mental health? Yes, it's very important because we have to keep in mind that the individuals that have created these platforms and these media outlets are running a business. And so they have very strategically, in, in a, not in a bad, nefarious way, but strategically created markets where people want to come back to it. Yeah. And so we just need to be mindful of that, that we are a consumer of something that these marketers have successfully um, created so that we can come back and consume it. So we have to be responsible for our own well-being, our own media diet, and engage in what's referred to as digital detox. Yeah. And be very intentional. You know, we get, you know, marketed all over the place, you know, fast food, you know, the Golden Arches and Coca-Cola and things like that. But we ultimately make the choice to consume or not consume a product, whether it be food, whether it be media. And so we need to be very responsible in that and 
step away and engage in what is referred to as digital detox, where we kind of just put it aside for a little bit and then come back and consume it in in bites. Everything in moderation. We used to consume media 30 minutes a day at at 5.30 with the big three (laughs) networks. That has changed. Wow. Now it's coming through our phone 24-7. That's quaint. I can't can't even – the last time I only consumed media for half an hour was – I don't know when I was asleep for 23 and a half hours. Um, Doctor, can I keep you just a couple more minutes here? I want to take a break and I have a couple more things I want to ask. Certainly. Okay. Thank you so much. My guest is Dr. Roy Salgado. He's a mental health counseling professor at the University of Holy Cross. Uh, When we come back, I'm going to ask him about how you can not only be responsible for your own media diet and your own mental health, but those of your children. Because I think it's important for them to know what's going on, but we need to do that in a responsible way. I'm Ian Hoke. I'm in for Scoot, and I'll be right back. Give me a call. Shoot me a text at that number. I'm going to get to your texts and calls in the next segment. But while I still have Dr. Salgado on the line, I want to ask him some things about um, uh, media and news consumption as it pertains to our our families, our our young children. Uh, Doctor, thanks again for hanging around. How can parents balance... Uh, keeping their children informed about global events, I, I say global events, but it could you know, just as easily be the war in Israel as it could be the mass shooting in Maine. Um, how do we keep our children informed about those things while also protecting them from the potentially harmful effects of consuming that content as we previously discussed? I think that parents realize that even to the best of our ability, when we try to keep our children from being exposed to such content that they inevitably do become exposed. They might walk into a room when you're actually watching the news and then they ask a question. And that's an opportunity when they ask a question for you to kind of pause and ask them what their interpretation of things are. How do they understand the things that they are hearing to what what does it mean to them? Um, It's important that we not give them any more information that they are asking for or needing. We oftentimes, in in, an effort to respond to their questions, perhaps expose them to a little bit more, and then thereby give them more information that they can't process, and that's a little more sophisticated and traumatizing. So oftentimes their questions are a little more concrete, a little more Mm -hmm. succinct, and so as such, when they do ask a question, then we flip it back on them. Well, what do you think? it's about. And whatever their response is, then just kind of process that and leave it there at that level according to their developmental age so that they're not prematurely exposed to any more than they already have in their minds. Uh, yeah, thank you. I would offer anecdotally also, uh, if you're the parent of a young child and you're having a moment where you have to t- talk to them about what's happening, I can only say in my experience, some of those moments where I was exposed by my parents to things that were happening uh, when I was a very I, I, maybe my, my first memory of watching something on TV is not Saturday morning cartoons. It's Tiananmen Square. And mm-hmm. yes. a, a little bit after that, it's uh, the, the famine in Somalia and the way that my mother specifically explained to me what those images were stuck with me to the point where now those are some of the the earliest memories that I have period those those exposures and the discussions that followed were linchpin moments in my life turning points that really affected the way that I relate to the world and I I I don't know if that's going to be every child's experience or every parent's experience but I, I guess I would just offer as, you know, random radio dude to, to people who are listening and have young kids that they have to have this conversation with. 
treat that with care and gravity and seriousness because 30 years later, your kid might remember that and what you did to offer them support and comfort in that moment. You're absolutely right. And as I hear what you're saying, I reflect upon my childhood and the things that I was exposed to. I remember the Achille Laurel um, and the TWA plane of those hostage situations. I remember Mm -hmm. seeing those images on the news with the gentleman in the wheelchair being thrown off of the boat into the ocean. That sat with me. I remember the TWA flight being taken hostage and having those conversations with my parents. And so when those situations do present themselves, it's important to think and reflect, you know what, we too, as we grew up, have been exposed to things. And children are resilient when handled with care um, and knowing that they have the ability to process information at certain ages. To have a conversation with a four-year-old is different than with an eight-year-old or a 12-year-old. And so just being mindful of that and treating those conversations with respect, as you said. And to take it down to a notch, you know, like when you have these macro-systemic geopolitical situations that play themselves out, you can bring it down to something at their level with regard to the one-on-one situation. Um, I am reminded of um, the 16th president of Mexico. Um, he had a quote that said um, that respect among individuals as among nations and the rights of others is peace. And so just as individual to individual and nation to nation, when we respect one another and we hear one another out, that there goes peace. And so to bring it to their level where, you know, you have this group of people fighting with this group of people, just as you have one individual fighting with another individual, you know, you with your sibling. And so to have that something that you can talk about so that the peace that we're all striving for, they work towards it in their own lives, with their own relationships, within their families and their communities. Yeah. Uh, Doctor, every time I talk to you, I always want to conclude on this note that uh, the University of Holy Cross makes free uh, teletherapy available to anyone who wants it. Is that still the case? Do I have that right? That is. For four years now, the University of Holy Cross and the Maronites of Holy Cross have been offering free telemental health services to any resident of Louisiana. So if there's anyone in Louisiana who is in need of mental health services, you can get top-notch clinical mental health counseling services by one of our counselors in training. We have more than 80 providers that are there ready to give you these services free of charge. And you just have to look us up on the website. Go to University of Holy Cross, www.uhcno.com, and look up the uh, Thomas C. Chambers Counseling and Training Center, and we're there to provide this service. Okay, uhcno.com, and we're looking for the Thomas C. Say it again, please. The Thomas E. Chambers oh, Thomas Counseling e. and Training Chambers. Centers. Thomas E. Chambers Counseling and Training Centers. Okay, great. Um, if you're listening right now and you didn't have a chance to absorb that or write it down, I'm going to pull it up on my computer here. Send me a text message on the Oakland Art Jewelers talking text line. Say, hey, I want that website. I'm interested in that teletherapy. I'll shoot you the link back and you can take it from there. Anything else you want to let our audience know before we let you go, doctor? Well, just this one quote that comes to mind, too. It's one of my favorite, um, and it's by Mario Moreno Cantinflas, a a famous Latin American comedian, and he says, I love, you love, he loves, she loves, we love, you love, they love. We're not just a conjugation, but a... I'm uh, I'm sorry, you broke up at at the worst possible... We're not just a conjugation, but what? But a reality. Okay. <laughs> oh, the wonders of technology. Thank you so much, Dr. Salgado. Great conversation with you, man. Thank you again. We'll have you back.
My pleasure. Adios, amigo. Okay, it's 152 here on WWL. We're going to come back after we take a, care of a little bit of biz. 504-260-1870 is the number. You want to react to anything you just heard? We'll squeeze you in in the next segment. I'll take your phone calls. I'll take your texts. And then we'll hand it off to Chris Miller with more of WWL First News. I'm Ian Hoken for Scoot. He'll be back on Tuesday. But until then, I'm not stuck in here with you. You're stuck in here with me. Be right back. Some good news here from businessreport.com. Louisiana and Amtrak sign an agreement for passenger rail service between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. From the article, Governor Edwards and Amtrak CEO Stephen Gardner joined other officials to sign a service development agreement, blah, 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 that will advance the return of intercity rail service between Baton Rouge and New Orleans, the governor's office announced today. According to that agreement, passenger service between Baton Rouge and New Orleans could start as early as 2027. The planned route is scheduled to take 75 to 90 minutes from start to finish. The initial plan is for one round trip daily, expanding to two round trips daily later, pending evaluations, blah, 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 blah. After the news, I'll tell you what stops that rail service is planned to have between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. Very exciting. Maybe everybody isn't excited about this as I am, which is okay. You know how I feel about trains, but uh, this is a big deal. When we come back, we're going to be speaking to Philip Napoli. He's a professor of public policy at Duke University. Disinformation is being used as a weapon in a way that it's never been before against you and me. What do we do about it? That and more after the news with Chris Miller. I'm Ian. Be right back. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.